Scott Sullivan is a producer, filmmaker, actor. I met him in Pittsburgh. We worked on a documentary called Outlines Together and made a short web series that is probably still on the internet somewhere uh, called Maine. And I we, we've kept in touch since then. And I really appreciate his feedback and I've been watching his journey ever since he moved to Los Angeles and has kind of struggled to transition from the from a small city to the big city uh, producing game, really. And he is now directing a short film called Red. I'm really excited to hear how that is going, how the transition to the LA world has been. And the first episode of this that I tried to record didn't work. Um, I tried to record it through a online software with him calling in and lost the audio. So I decided to drive across the country just for that sole purpose uh, to go interview him. <laughs> I'm kidding. I didn't drive just for that reason, but I was in Los Angeles for a few days. So we met up and we did this interview. Well, hi, Craig. Hi, Scott. Thank you for welcoming me to my podcast. You're welcome. Uh, I appreciate you letting me welcome you to your podcast. Yeah, yeah. You're just going to host this one. There I'm going to. All right, let's go. Scott Sullivan is taking over Movies in a Black podcast. For, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like Instagram takeovers on podcasts. Yes, exactly. It's because, funny story, we already did an interview for this podcast and it was great. So much great content in it. You had this like awesome story about your motorcycle in it, which I'll have you retell because I want I want you to tell that. Yeah, um, I want to get there. I don't remember what story it was, but. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it was, but it was great. And I go to upload it, go to edit it. And um, I recorded the video. This is when I was still trying to do video, but uh, there was no audio. So it's kind of useless for a podcast. <laughs> And and now we're doing this. The last one we did over Skype, I think. And now you're at my uh, dining room yeah, table in really, Burbank. Really stepping it up. Yeah. Yep. Because Craig's in LA, everybody. I am in LA. For well, welcome like him a, here. A few days. <laughs> How are you liking LA so far? I love it. I love the fact that almost everyone I meet is somehow involved in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Uh, it, Whether it, they actually are or not, they at least want to be. <laughs> they, there are certain coffee shops that you go to where like almost every laptop is populated by a final draft. Yeah. No, I saw that even at the coffee shop. I was at Priscilla's. Priscilla's. Yeah, Priscilla's. Yeah. And there were like four people sitting there working yeah. on scripts. And I was like, it's, yeah, it's funny because what, what doesn't, it, I'm not amazed that people are, are all writing screenplays. I'm amazed by like the one out of six person who's still using Celtex. Like, uh, just upgrade guys, upgrade. Man. That's like filmmaker 101. I mean, having worked in development for a little while, like you could tell which scripts were written on yeah, which software. It usually, it's pretty, pretty yeah. wonky. Like yeah. the format, even if you try to export it into a PDF and it's supposed to be the correct formatting, it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, if you are, you know, if you're producing a project. Well, so, or, like, with Final Draft, that's, like, the industry standard. Yeah. What is different about that besides the fact that everyone else is using it so you can share it? Uh, well, certainly functionality is there. There's no real limit to how functional it gets. I mean, you can be a very, very novice screenwriter or filmmaker or whatever and go into it and use it. It has options to write in, like, sort of teleplay format, but most of the time you're going to write in your standard, like log description dialogue um but just the format that it defaults by yeah is the format 
people expect. Right. And um, I mean, it's not that I've heard Paul Thomas Anderson talk about writing on Final Draft, but it's obvious Paul Thomas Anderson writes on Final Draft <laughs> or anybody really, just because it's it's it is the default. It's kind of like well, it, it's kind of like people used to just assume everyone edits on Avid. That's obviously mm-hmm. not the case anymore. But still, it's pretty much. I mean, not really avid unless you're in a real big uh, post house. They still use that for some reason a lot of times. Yeah, it's definitely um, moving towards Adobe. Yeah, Adobe and Final Cut X. Some people mm-hmm. still yeah. use that, um, which whatever. I, I did my doc on Final Cut X. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm a big Adobe fan. I, I like the whole suite, though. I love the dynamic link because I can make something in Photoshop and dynamic link it over to Premiere and then go back over to Photoshop and edit it and it just jumps back over and it's the whole the whole thing i also started designing websites just because i had the app in adobe and now i make a bunch of money doing that can you develop websites directly from adobe platforms you can use like dreamweaver and right 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 right. yep so i mean you if you want to make like real css old school websites without a web builder it's totally you can do it that way but my brother does still I'm yeah, sure. I would never actually do that. It's just cool to have the ability. It, it's kind of a bragging right thing among web developers. It's like, yeah, I can I can actually make a website from scratch, and I'm choosing not to. <laughs> yeah, I, I asked my brother to do some weird things from scratch when I really – and he should have just been like, no, just like use a website builder. No, but he probably doesn't. Like a lot of, a lot of web developers have this like chip on their so- shoulder about it, and uh, I'm like – I get these weird looks and like scoffs from other web developers all the time because I use 90% of the time I'm at most advanced using WordPress, um, which is not the same as developing a site from scratch. But developing a site from scratch is not practical. No. Almost ever. Well, like talking about formatting, I'm sure there's someone around town, a lot of people around town who still write their screenplays on a typewriter. Oh my God. Yeah. Or Word. Yeah. I I got a screenplay sent to me. uh, about a month ago, right when I first started releasing blog stuff, mm-hmm. people started sending me scripts again, um, which I'm thankful for. Want to send me scripts? Go ahead and do it. Uh, I will probably not read it. <laughs> yeah. In all reality, but if it's interesting, if the first page is interesting, I, I really do read stuff because I'm looking for stuff. Yeah. But yeah, they they sent it to me and it's in a Word document, and it was like kind of formatted, like they knew what they were supposed to be doing at least, um, but I couldn't even read it. I got, and it, honestly, it wasn't. If, if that tells you anything, it wasn't that good anyway. So I didn't well, get very like, far, but yeah, sorry, think, whoever that was. <laughs> well, the idea of the formatting, though, it, it's it, yeah, it's, important. It, it, it's so much about just like how it looks. Like there, there are certain, I think, in the business, we are always looking for barriers of entry and we're hoping for people to not pass that test. Because if you pass the test and you pass the next test and you pass the next test, now we can take you seriously. If you if you don't know this specific part of it yet, if if you don't understand the the, the way in which we write a log line, if your log line is six paragraphs long, I'm not going to read it. If your formatting, if your if your indents are, are wrong, I'm not gonna read it. It's like no one actually Well and honestly that that practically matters. It's not just a like, oh, we're looking for, I mean, maybe there is definitely a degree of that, but from my perspective, which is completely outside of the like LA way of doing things, right? Uh, the, the, LA, the LA way day. is that like, if your script is not formatted correctly, I have no way of telling really how long it's supposed to be. Like mm-hmm. that's the number one thing. Like a script formatting is built so that you can see the 
appropriate about length that something is supposed mm-hmm. to be, which is really important as a producer figuring out, yeah. is this a 40 minute thing? Is this a 20 minute thing? Is this an hour and a half? Is it five hours? <laughs> like, I, I what would, did you write here? I would get pilot scripts that were like 30 pages or so. And the amount of space between the lines for stories that were non-existent because they were so terrible, but like, that was such a dead giveaway that this person like basically gave me a three minute short film about nothing and the space was all wrong. And it's like, you have to like, it's like the same few sort of Tetris pieces on a screenplay that you're working in and it's not easy to fit them. And there's no, and and you can't say that like, Oh, well this, like the, some, some stories are definitely not meant to be movies, but any story that can be a movie fitting into those blocks and you having to constrain yourself to fit into that. That's learning to be a screenwriter versus learning to write Mm -hmm. novels, being a novelist. There's a reason there's two different like art forms there. And you could totally write a great screenplay in Celtex or Caltex, if you want to call it. But like the, the major, like the, the, the biggest movement my fingers have to do as far as formatting is the fucking tab key. Like that's it on final draft. Like other than here and there having to like actually type in a name because it's a, it's a new character. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just tab, 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 tab. And that's it for 120 pages or however long my screenplay is going to be. Yeah. Like, I mean, right now my screenplay is not 20 or 120, but it's 20. Because you're working on, let's segue into that. What are you segue. working on right now? I'm working on a movie. Uh, I'm working on my first movie in, uh, I think, four years, I want to say. Why has it taken you four years to make another movie? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and, and not only is it, I'm getting back into directing again. I think that, well, first of all, one of the biggest things is I just moved to LA and I think anyone who thinks they're going to come to LA and just start killing it is really like, I can assure you it's pretty hard. You know, everything takes so much more time here, especially since like when you get here, you just don't know the streets and there's a lot of them to learn. And so and I was doing other things. I was, was working on acting again for a little while, which you know, didn't necessarily pan out. I was, uh, I was working in development for a little while, like reading scripts and pitching, you know, networks and just not like you were doing, I wasn't doing nothing. No, I was, I think I was, I was searching for, I I don't want to say like a, um, you know, a sort of shoots and ladders games, trying to find that like easy ladder or whatnot. Um, I definitely found a lot more shoots, I would say. (laughs) Um, but I was working in development for a little while and, and had a lot of cool stuff happen. I got to like pet Jerry Bruckheimer's dogs at one point in time and pitch them and had all these contacts and you got to pitch his dogs. I, I, I did pitch the dogs. Uh, as you can imagine, they didn't go well. They they were adorable. Their sensibilities uh, are a little different. Yeah, they were like like I'm just not. There's no narrative drive, and I was like, wow, okay. There's <laughs> <laughs> someone. Uh, I don't want to talk about other things that they may have said, considering who their dad is. Um, did that, and then was, you know, I think trying to survive and, and was working for an acting coach in LA, um, running that business. Successfully at times, uh, but then sort of had to split from that situation. And it hit me about almost, well, more than a year ago at this point, where I was like, I kind of want to do a movie again. And I, it just hit me that I was going to do this short story that I'd written almost 10 years ago because I wanted to enter the conversation of the sort of political climate that we're in. And I wrote the story like 10 years ago before I was out of the closet about the closet, about these, you know, three kids, you know, 
two gay guys who may or may never come out, uh, and the girlfriend, the one who kind of, in a way, figures it out. And um, but it takes place in my hometown, which is Deer Lakes, Pennsylvania, which is like like high end Trump country. So I wanted to do a movie about that, and this film fit. And I definitely didn't think it was going to be what it's become. And I don't. First, I was going to just like get a couple GH4s, get a couple influencers, shoot a movie over a weekend, whatever, be done, see if I can translate that into something else. But then quickly into the process, I realized that it was much more important and it was much bigger and it was much more important to me as as not just a filmmaker, but like Scott Sullivan, like coming to grips and terms with his own self. And it's been, I've never, ever, ever put so much time into 15 or 20 pages of paper. I mean, it's been, it's been insane. I'm really, I, I love the way people have latched onto it on Instagram's the main, yeah, at least the yeah. main way that I've seen that you're yeah. kind of just promote, pre-promoting it. Yeah. And it's funny because almost every comment is like, can I watch it yet? <laughs> uh, which is a great problem to have. It like, is. Uh, it's certainly, I'm, I'm worried that like, the, the fanfare is going to die down because they're going to be like, well, I guess I'm never going to watch this one. Like someone commented the other day, they're like, they're like, for a short film, you're moving at a glacial pace. Come on, guys. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, um, I, I will touch base on that, um, the Instagram thing, because that's been a crazy whirlwind that I totally didn't see coming. Um, but with the film, I think that every step of the way where I could have cut a corner, I chose not to cut a corner, which is something I do not think that you know twenty-three-year-old filmmaker Scott or twenty-five-year-old filmmaker Scott would have ever decided to do. But I've just been beaten in my face so much in the past couple of years that it has like induced within me an incredible amount of patience. And I realize now that like if I don't do it right, I'll regret that forever. So I've been so patient and I've been so calm about everything. And, and we actually had this huge snafu as far as like filming goes. We were supposed to shoot in September and I wanted to shoot in September and we were going to shoot in September. But then in the last minute, uh, our primary location uh, found out we did not have, uh, she did not have permission to give us to, to shoot there. And you thought you had permission to yeah. shoot there you had everything ready and then you found oh, out yeah. like, i mean we we had we were we were 12 hours away from picking up lights and camera and we were going to start shooting and then found out that we couldn't and so it was a very long day that ended at about noon i don't know how that 12 or 20 hours fit into five but uh my producer analia called me and she said look uh, i know you want to shoot a movie but we think you should push because this is your film, this is your baby. You have put yourself into this and you've had no time to direct it. You've had so much time to put out fires and you've done it brilliantly, but now let's take a break. Let's, we're not gonna lose everything. Let's let's figure this out. Because um, we knew at that point that like I had to have my first lawsuit. And uh, so <laughs> now you're a real producer. I'm a real producer. I have my first lawsuit. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a win lose type of thing. It was it was a civil claim, um, which I had to do. But you know, but again, that was another thing that just sort of yeah. Uh, you you the process of learning, the process of failing, and the process of like turning that into something. I mean, I I have no reason to be optimistic and. 
which is not true. I have every reason to be optimistic. Like I think I think you put these cards in another person's hands and maybe they maybe they fumble. But I, I've just turned it on to strength. I mean, the, the project is is phenomenal. I think a big thing you've touched on there is the patience part of it. I, I know myself. I'm still a little bit younger than you. Still have that like go 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 mentality, and I've been trying to curb that because mm -hmm. I see it affect negatively the quality of the work that I produce. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been those times where I've been able to slow down and say, this matters. And so it's like this, and I haven't gotten to do that very much, honestly. So like, I am excited to see, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching how the glacial pace <laughs> of it's, your, of it's, it's your process, because I can tell it's going to turn out to be a really high quality short film and that's how honestly that's how a lot of things get started now mm -hmm. so i mean it's got to be really great quality you right. know there's two kind of routes you can go or there's plenty of routes you can yeah. go but there's two big ones with longer form content is you make really good short content first or a really good short content uh whiplash right. uh <laughs> Well, Whiplash was a was a feature screenplay that yeah, he pulled he from pulled, to, pulled make a, a short. to make a short film. That happens a lot, though. Now uh, it's kind of like a well-tread way of making a feature film. Short Term Twelve was the same way, and or there's like the I'm going to make a feature film. Don't care if it's perfect, but I'm going to sell it and make some money off of it and get to make another one. Right. And it's, if you really care about the story, honestly, the, the rush to the feature film thing is not necessarily yeah. the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I would be. I would be a, a liar, liar, pants on fire if I said I had a feature script waiting for Red. I, yeah. I, I simply don't. I mean, it was a short story that became a short film, and and I know that it, I know that I will look into the feature, and and over the course of well, you don't necessarily have to make that story a feature, but just right. putting your voice out there as a filmmaker, uh, if you can do it in a strong way, which I I think that you will with this, then that enables you to. That acts as your calling card. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely found. I used to write a lot of prose and a lot of short stories, and I think I put so many of them behind me because they were relics of a time when I was so, you know, stuck in the closet or just so adjacent to that. Like right after I was out of the closet, right. I'd write these things, and I was still just so you know, stuck in my depressions and stuck in my, like, you know, it's all self-hatred. I mean, it's really hard to, like, I mean, coming out of the closet's great, and I, it's been the best thing to ever happen to me because I was able to sort of live a life for a little while. But in those sort of immediate years following, I still, like, the residual pain, it's the aftershock. And, and I literally have forgotten so much of the things that I did. Like, I hadn't really thought about Red, the short story, in a long time. And then as I was going through, someone sent me a, it's crazy. I'm, people won't believe this, but it's true. Um, someone sent me a, uh, a Google Drive thing, something that they wrote, right? Like a Microsoft Word file, and they sent it to me, and I open it, and I'm reading it. Yeah. And as and but it opens in Drive, right? So in the Drive is all my other things in Drive, and I start scrolling through my old stuff as if like you know, but it's all looking so new, and I'm like, oh my god, and that and that, and I found a novella that I'd written, and I'm like, what? I forgot all about this. And I start reading it and I'm reading it and I'm like, and, and I'm just like memory, 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 another memory, and then another memory. And all these things that were a part of my life to my core and my being and were like 
really like I, I don't I never really told people how tough my childhood was and to do red and for that to start pulling out things and now I have this other film which is sort of adjacent to red in its own way that I'm thinking like that might be the feature right and and I don't I don't fancy myself a writer maybe one day you know mm-hmm. I like to think that like after the 18th draft of red it got pretty good um but like it takes a lot of work for me to write because it's such a fucking process for me yeah and and i'm looking at this and i used to do this thing where like i would essentially basically write the truth and just change the names around a little bit you know change the situation just a little bit and and i'm reading through this thinking like holy shit like this this could be good and it's it's really sad, which is totally my fucking wheelhouse. And um, <laughs> lots of movies out there yeah. about sad stuff, so it's not you like know, people um, don't want to watch yeah, that. I think I'm really good at being sad. Well, it's because people identify with it; they connect with it because people are fucking sad and alone. Yeah. It's like the thing that ties all humans together, which yeah. is really, but like it's a beautiful thing at the same time that like we can all experience these things and we can bond over that. We can bond over our darkest emotions. Well, I think any, anything that allows for the process of something to happen, the process of your sadness, like it's sitting and just like burning a hole in your chest is not processing, Yeah. but you contemplating it, experiencing it, feeling it, crying like crazy or whatever, like talking about crying, talking about sadness, um, you know, to sort of segue a little bit into like the, the Instagram stuff, like, to to these people um so basically what happened was the lead actor of my film was on a disney show and he got cast in a disney show months ago like i told you he went to spain right mm-hmm. yeah he was in spain when he did the audition i believe it was may right books the show off tape but they don't shoot it until august shoots it in august it doesn't come out until october but about a month before, and I had already posted on my Instagram because we were supposed to shoot in like September, right? So right, I posted yeah. on Instagram about Red and there's Parker and all these things. And so this, the week that we were supposed to be shooting, that we're now not shooting, Disney releases a trailer. Now, Red the short film is about basically this teenage couple, James and Lizzie, are having this little night together. And then um, the last person that James want to show up is the guy he got caught hooking up with four months ago. But lo and behold, Aaron shows up, you know, cue drama, right? Coming out of the closet, but not really. It's a closet story, right? So this Disney show that Parker gets cast on is the first ever Disney show to have an openly gay character. Oh, man. And not only that, Disney, the way they cut the ad, put him right in the center of this sort of like quasi gay potential relationship because it's like the openly gay kid has a massive crush on this kid that's questionable and all the fandom, if you will, like knows about it. And so Parker's now right in the center of it. So Parker's Instagram starts blowing up and eventually these kids, these impressionable, vulnerable, like incredible, incredible kids find red and just flock to it. And now I have this like... I mean, it's not massive yet, but I'd say that if anybody has a short film that has that gets hundreds of likes and followers and comments and has fan pages and 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 for a film that has not been made yet, um, <laughs> that's like the crazy a short part. film that hasn't been made yeah. yet, and and I'm just I'm so pleasantly surprised at how many of the fans um, identify as lesbian, bisexual, non-binary. 
um, genderqueer, like, because unfortunately, red is what it is. And I have to tell the truth. Red is about cisgendered people. And, and, and though we're not necessarily sure where on the spectrum James or Aaron fall, and we never really get to delve into Lizzie, James's girlfriend, and where she falls in the spectrum, A, it's a short film, and B, this is unfortunately my hometown. You know, it's like the issue of trans people never came up. And someone was messaging me the other day, and I've had a couple people, like, because we still have to cast a few of the characters, um, I've had a couple of people suggest somebody, and someone the other day was like, Again, this is one of the teenage fans. Like, can you please cast, like, you know, uh, someone of, like, who's, you know, Southeast Asia or whatever. And I was like, I wish I could. You know, I was like, that's my next yeah. movie. But, like, it, it would be, or someone someone suggested someone of color. And I, and I would love to have someone of color in my film. But that would suggest that in my hometown, this truth I'm trying to tell, this story I'm trying to tell, that, like, their word abundant abundance of people of color there wasn't there was only a few and i don't necessarily think that i'm qualified to even tell that story yeah yeah i have run into that a lot um i've had a lot of very interesting conversations after making blood on the leaves which i didn't write vincent wrote that but i you know immediately when i saw that i was like that's a story we need to tell and it deals with both rural white america mm -hmm. <laughs> trump town USA. And then it also deals with, uh, African-American like city culture. But honestly, the writer, most of what he learned of that was through like hip hop. His favorite musician is J Cole. And it's like, so there's some truth to it. Cause I mean, those people are telling their stories and he, he like, it's not like he's learning it from a TV show written by a white guy, you know? Uh, but at the same time, there's definitely a disingenuous, Mm -hmm. uh, representation of people of color in the film and it's not necessarily like that bad because when we started casting we allowed the people we cast to shape their own characters and shape their story and they say you know this is a, I don't really like the way that this is being represented here can we change it to this and it's like yeah definitely or they're like I really resonate with this like yeah, let's I, do I remember of reading that. drafts of that and, and my my lasting criticism whenever we were going through reading it, it was just yeah. i was like i need you guys to make sure that like he does not come off as some angry black guy yeah yeah and and we worked on that and it's like I well think, and and the, the actor brought a lot to that he made it very yeah. he made the character very and the goal was to make the character sympathetic yeah um well it's got that that breaking bad thing where like you know walt's washing the tire of his student and it's like this guy has cancer and he's washing fucking cars um same thing with city boy there's this like this element of like what he needs to survive and then same thing with the country guy yeah this is Ellen what he needs to survive. And I don't think there's any like way in which that scenario that they find themselves in can be any more complicated. <laughs> and and that sort of leveled it down um, when when you sort of like let the action play out. And and you know, I I would love to at a certain point, um, like I have I'm not gonna say what it is, but I have this idea for a film that I'm gonna write one day, maybe, or have someone else write with me, um, where most of the cast will be uh, of sort of Asian descent and, and people that aren't white. Yeah, and, and like, well, I mean, and when you're writing a story about a town in rural Pennsylvania, like the honest truth is that 99% of the population in those areas are yeah. Caucasian. We had four people of color in my town. Yeah, uh, I uh, one family. They are all black, right? Um, and I don't, I don't feel bad saying this name. The names of the Britons. They're probably out 
fucking doing something crazy and are all millionaires at this point. Um, this was the only black family in my hometown and they had three children, three separate years. Each and every one of their kids was the valedictorian. Yeah. Wow. They had to though. Yeah. How do you, how, how do you survive? I mean, unfortunately in my hometown, we had two black kids. They were about four years apart and they were both adopted. So we didn't even have any mm. parents that were, and we had an Asian family that owned the Chinese restaurant <laughs> and they were super nice. But the, uh, both of the kids that, um, and they're both really nice kids. One of them, um, the, yeah, they were both kind of underachievers and it's like, and that just gave more fuel to the fire of the people that yeah. wanted to judge them that way. And yeah, it's like hard two, when you're fighting against that. Like two black kids are, are underachieving. It's because they're black. Yet all the other white people underachieving. It doesn't. Yeah, they and they. I think uh, no the, the one kid that he was a year older than me. I think he finished twentieth in our class out of like seventy. And it's like so people point at that, and it's like, well, what about the like fifty kids that fell behind him? You know, like that were all white. They, yeah. It has nothing to do nothing. with his. Yeah, I mean, if anything, the fact that in, in the face of that kind of struggle, like they were able to do that. You know, it's fun. It's such an, it's, yeah, it's, and being adopted, that's like a whole thing too. You know, that I adds was, uh, a lot of stressors to a, a t- teenage kid's life. Like, yeah, I was I was uh, having a conversation the other day, and my friend was like, just we were laughing at it because we were a little lit. It's whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were lit, whatever. It was my birthday this weekend, so I I got a little lit. It's good, but you know, we're talking, and um, he was like, and in the closer him and I have gotten, like, I've sort of exposed him to, to so much of my life and, and my, my, my history, my past. And, and I told him just like some very embarrassing stories about like how, how like bad my childhood was and how like I was picked on and how I was bullied and how like I had these nicknames and how weird I fucking was. And, and he knows me now as this person out here who like is, is, is pretty in charge of things and, and who, who can stand in front of crowds and just have absolute comfort and just like and in move in and out and shake between like whatever whoever's talking to me right and powerful people or you know strangers on the street and he's like it doesn't make any sense because of how weird you were back yeah then, that you could that's possibly, why though it is for it me because i'm the same way i was locked in the band room tuba locker on multiple occasions that's, that's at least and, it wasn't you know the flute locker yeah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that was a lame mistake <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah no i mean and like i and looking back now it's honestly like a lot of it was me i was a weird kid and i wasn't very nice either like because i was always on defense so i was like expecting people to be mean to yeah. me and when you put that out into the universe the universe gives that back yeah. to you um and also when you're just like a skinny scrawny kid that everyone thinks is gay yeah. Whether you are or not, yeah, you're well, going to get the shit beat out of you when yeah. you're in rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> I, I couldn't I, I couldn't imagine if everyone thought I was gay. I think, like, I I worked so hard for everyone to not know. Mm. And now I'm thinking about that. and like, what the fuck that does to you? I mean, like, there, there's no element of having to change yourself to fucking fit in. Yeah. And I, I know that, like, I'm sure that, like, the cool jocks can share some other stories about how they had some esteem issues and how they had to change those a little bit. And it's not like I want to say fuck you to them, but also fuck you guys. Because, <laughs> uh, like, no, fuck you. Like, yeah. I like the, this, the stuff that I had to go through. I mean, it's just, like, I was lucky for a long time that um, my best friend in high school was the strongest guy in high school. Mm. Um, but like there was that little separation of time where he wasn't there. And I remember this like one time, like 
I can't even get into the whole story, but like this one guy comes up to me at my locker and it's like middle of like classes changing and everything. It's super crowded and everything. And like I live, I live, I have my locker was like right next to like, like right above the lunchroom. So everyone had to pass my locker. And this guy comes up to me and says, hey, and I'm like, hey, and I swear to God, he just fucking slaps me as hard as he can across the face. And I'm in shock. I'm in shock. I don't know if I could beat him up. I definitely don't fight. I'm not a fighter. But I'm like, what do I do in this situation? Because yeah. it, it's not like I was worried about the pain. I could take the physical pain of getting hit in like the face. It was like the social, like, oh what my it, God. yeah, I know. Mortified. Mortified. Yep. And then, like, I remember, like, I'm so used to having to fucking lie to keep myself alive, basically. Or, or you know, lack thereof sometimes. I remember getting called in the principal's office and they're like, did something happen? Don't talk about this. And they, they mentioned the guy by name. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Because the, the recourse would have been far, uh, far worse. Yeah. I mean, and this is why, like, people don't understand, like, oh, why don't you just go to the administration? Why don't you get help? And it's like, anyone who's been in high school and been bullied gets that that's yeah. just not, mm -hmm. it doesn't, yeah. it's not an easy, like, mm -hmm. there's no, like, I have no idea how to fix the problem besides teaching your kids not to be assholes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it seems like, honestly... But who's going to do that? Yeah, like who? Because and it's everyone thinks they're everyone thinks that everyone sees their kids through rose-colored glasses. So like they always think, like especially the meanest kids to their in their parents' eyes are like sweethearts, and like yeah, fucking what's what's the name God. Harry Potter kid? Yeah, Dudley. I don't remember what his name is, but well, Malfoy. No, 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 Dudley, the uh, the fat. Oh, um, I gotcha. Yeah. I th well, I think like when it comes to like red. Um, I, I wanted to talk about those places, but I didn't want to do what was, I think, easy and like, oversimplify the bad guy. Yeah. And in fact, the script doesn't have a bad guy. There's no, like, there's no instance of, like, these characters getting beat up for being gay. There's no instance of, like, there's, I, I don't use the word faggot. On an yeah. earlier, an earlier draft I did, um... There's no instance of like the sort of stereotypical like Trump fucker like you know being a fucking asshole. In fact, like James's parents are in the film and they're not necessarily bad people. Yeah. What I wanted to do was just acknowledge that like I think this is what we need to do more of is just humanizing fucking teenagers and and like instead of us pretending like a they're they're much younger than they are or much better than they are, just acknowledge that like a, a teenager has the same capacity to feel pain and to cause pain and to have fear and worry much as a 35-year-old does, or I can attest a 30-year-old does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> nudge, nudge. Um, it's, it's, and that's like what's been so beautiful about this whole Instagram presence is just like being able to share not necessarily the movie or the story as much as just like the idea of it and the idea behind it all and like acknowledging that these teenagers who don't have a voice that like this is what pisses me off so much about uh, conceptions of like teenagers and, and pain from teenagers, especially mental pain. And, and, and like the sort of teen angst thing we have. Mm. When I was a teenager, I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to die. Suicidal thoughts weren't a a thing that I happened to have here and there. It was a plan. It yeah. was, there was a date. 
there was a time and it persisted. It persisted far past high school. And, and for us to minimize the pain that a teenager feels, I don't give a fuck. If you're 14, 16, or 26, or 46, if you have the thought of suicide, if you have the thought that you're going to end your own life, it's fucking real. It's fucking real to me now. It's real to me then. It's real to anybody in this situation. Teen suicides are up right now. And LGBTQ youth are the ones who are feeling it the most. Transgendered youth have more likelihood of committing themselves than any other type of person in this country. That is an insane thing. And we should be very angry about it. But we shouldn't go attacking other people. Yeah. Because it just it, it, it's a zero-sum game. It is it is a very circular fucking argument. What I want to do with Red and what I think I'm doing so far, I want to continue to do is just acknowledge a truth. Because I think for me, the best thing growing up for me was for anybody and everybody who could expose truth to me, which most of the time happened in film, even if it was really sad. Yeah. It's it it was like a mirror and, and because the only mirrors I knew were the ones in my bathroom where I got to see myself and I didn't like myself. But when I saw someone who looked like me, it was very it was few and far between someone looking like me on a screen, you know, or feeling the way that I felt. And I say that because it's like, again, these are going to be cisgendered individuals. And, and the fact that like now I'm like, I have a, a little <laughs> awesome little army of like, you know, young girls who are identifying all over the spectrums. Right. Yeah. And, and for them to be like, for them to know that like someone else felt this alone sometimes. Yeah. Or this scared sometimes it's a huge deal. And, and I think like, I think that's a way to help fix this thing is to start taking everybody seriously and respecting them. I think that's huge. And I think being able to know it helps a little bit make you feel like you're less alone. I know the internet for me was always a thing that the sole thing that kept me alive because I knew that somewhere outside of this little area that I was in, there were some people that at times I thought I'd never get to meet, but then event like that was the thing that the through line that was like, okay, like this is not the whole world right here. Yeah. Like there are other places, there are yeah. other people that are more accepting, but I know seeing through media, seeing through social media blogs were really big back then. Like our Tumblr was like just coming out. RIP Tumblr. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but really like all the blog spots and stuff like people writing about their depression and, and mm -hmm. suicide attempts and things and being like, okay, there's other people that like, and being able to bond in the comment sections and stuff, which is people don't really know what any of that yeah. is anymore. But yeah, it's definitely like a, I would say it has its, its areas of precariousness. Yeah. Um, I think that the internet can be an unkind place, but I think that the internet can be an insanely open, welcoming place. And, and you just have to find. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I think you, um, a lot of like, a lot of the fans on the red page are all like, not a lot of them are on personal accounts. Yeah. They're on fan accounts mm -hmm. and, and they, um, it, it gives them a sense of anonymity, which is amazing. Um, I know whenever I was. Yeah. I mean, I, that's like the forums that I used to, that was like mm -hmm. the big place because yeah. you didn't have to be yourself but you were around a bunch of other people that also didn't want to be themselves yeah. i loved forums yeah i mean i was on some weird ones but me too uh, yeah. <laughs> i mean a weird weird and weird ways like i, I had a i had a, a, a I don't anyone ever go looking this up uh, a very big presence when I was very young on this like NASCAR forum and I, can, <laughs> I remember like you know having these long form discussions about NASCAR but then like the bottom section was like um like everything else you know and they're talking yeah. about politics and, and all that stuff and it's like um 
you know, I got to be like an adult for a hot second there, you know? People, and, yeah, that's what really stood out to me. I ended up, that's how I started building websites was I was in a Call of Duty clan back when Call of Duty <laughs> was still on the computer. Yeah. Um, and literally no one had any clue how old I was. And I was playing with all of these adults from like the UK and Australia. And like, then we built this clan and I made this website for them. And then we monetized it was this whole, and I was 12 and to 14, I think was when I was like part of that. And it was like, I was part of something and it, I wasn't being treated like a child and let like yeah. my emotions and feelings were. And it was funny because like they were all coming open about the same struggles in their life, feeling alone and like yeah. not having a lot of friends where they were from. And it's like, they're adults. Yeah. There's a well, part of it that was like, well, oh man, they're adults and they still have this problem. Like, I'm never going to get out of this. Well, the, the more adults I, I meet, the older that I get, I've realized that like this whole idea of growing up is like fucking bullshit. Yeah. Everyone says that, but I don't think anyone really internalizes yeah. it. Or you yeah. really, you have no way of internalizing it when you're a kid. Like people say that and you're like, yeah, of course, sure. Like, yeah. but like, oh yeah, I'm sure. Like, cause you're thinking like, I don't know, I'll, I, I, eventually time will heal this. All my problems will go away when I don't have to live at home anymore. <laughs> yeah. False. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you will move back into your parents' basement. Yeah. And it'll I be would the best to. decision. If my made. parents lived in Pasadena, I would fucking move in in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh my God. I hate rent. Get out. Rent's the worst. Yeah. All right. Scott. Craig. Thank you for being on this podcast again. This has been great. One day that audio file is just going to like show up in like your email. Great. Like, and, then, the f- and then we can tell the motorcycle story that we didn't get to tell. Oh, that's right. I yeah. don't want you to tell it now. Now right. people are going to have to wait until episode, one of these days. the third one that you're going to be on. Yeah. After you make red, we'll interview again then. Cool. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have a trailer or something. Sweet. Yeah. If people want to check out you, me, or uh, your, both you and your, uh, your film. Let's go. Let's go. go with the film first. It's at red, the short film. On Instagram. Is that all? Like there's no spaces or No spaces, just at red that short film. And then I am underscore Scott underscore Sullivan. I really don't post on my personal anymore. Uh, Hear a story here and there, but uh, definitely check out the red Instagram page. It's got Facebooks and Twitters, but I, I, Gary would be so mad at me. I don't really use them. Does anyone use Facebook anymore? I don't know. Yeah, no, they do. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It was a genuine contemplation. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you, Scott. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Movies in the Black. I hope you enjoyed. If this is your first time here, let us know what you think in the comments. If you're on a platform that likes comments, if you're on something like iTunes or Stitcher, a rating goes a long way, helps us A, understand the feedback, kind of you know how we're doing in your eyes or in your ears in this case, um, and also helps us reach more people with the podcast. We got a lot of really great things coming up. I, while I was in LA, I also recorded a interview with actress and producer Katie Sieta. So that will be coming up. And I hope to, in the future, interview Scott again after Red, the short film, comes out. So make sure to check out Scott's stuff online. He's got a lot going on that's going to be really interesting to follow, especially coming into this new year. And keep following Movies in the Black for more on making movies, making a living, making movies, and generally the art careers in totality. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. See you on Tuesday.